0: Content warning This series contains mentions of mental health issues, suicide, sexual abuse, and other sensitive subjects. This is your host, Andrew Pledger, and this is Surviving Bob Jones University, a Christian cult. I
1: believe in the inspiration of power, both the old and the new testaments. The creation of man by the direct act of God.
0: The incarnation and virtue of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Episode 7, BJU and Me. This episode is a group interview that features more queer survivors from Bob Jones University. Specifically, I interview survivors who have their stories in the book called BJU and Me, Queer Voices from the World's Most Christian University, And this book is edited by Lance Weldy. The people I interview today are Lance Weldy and Andrew Bolden. Hello, everyone listening. This is Andrew Fletcher, and this is Surviving Bob Jones University of Christian Cult. And I am so happy. And so excited to be doing this group interview with queer survivors from Bob Jones University. So, I want to quickly go everyone to go around, kind of introduce yourself, and so people can know your voices and get to know you. (laughs) (laughs) So they
2: can can distinguish. We love hearing our own (laughs) (laughs) voices. Hi, I'm Lance Weldy. I am a professor at Francis Marion University. I've been there for, I can't believe, 15 years. I teach in the English department. And my area of specialization is children's and young adult literature. And I graduated from Bob Jones with an undergraduate in creative writing in 1998. I stayed there for a year and a half or so until October 99. And then I was invited to leave. The story after that is not as much in the chapter. That's There was only so much that I could put in these small chapters. But after that point, I lived at home for a little bit. And then went off for more schooling and then got my PhD in English. Yes, and Andrew,
0: if you can introduce yourself.
2: Hi, I'm Andrew Bolden. I attended
1: Bob Jones from 1995 to 1999, graduated in 1999 with a Bachelor of Music. A BM, if you will. They call it the B-muse. I'm very bemused with that degree because it's unaccredited. In voice performance, I did a master's in voice from Converse College in Spartanburg, and I have a degree in choral conducting from Emory University. I'm currently the choir master at St. Timothy's Episcopal Church in Maslin,
0: Ohio, okay. where I grew up. Oh, okay, got you. I am so happy to have all of you here in person for this interview. I'm really looking forward to it and all the insights and different stories. And I really want to start with you, Lance, Could you talk about your experience Mm. of that. And Mm. I know you were the son of an IFB pastor. That's correct. Mm. Okay. Got you. So yeah, if you could dig in, there's a lot to dig into there. And I relate because my dad was also an IFB pastor before I was born. Okay. That's okay. Mm. That's right. I'd heard a little bit about your story from your
2: episodes and stuff. So yeah, I was a preacher's kid ever since I was born. And my parents met at Bob Jones and I was the second generation BJU student for sure. Obviously a lot of people that are in the BJU and me book have a similar kind of story with, I went to church whenever the doors were open. You have a lot of that conservative people, conservative families. So at least three times a week when it's VBS or other revival, you're there and you're there closing up the place and all that sort of stuff. I felt too, I had a loving relationship with the parents and it, it goes in a different place obviously by the end, but I had that same feeling of, it was genuine love. Now, there was still spanking and all that sort of stuff, but it was I, don't, I was never afraid to go home if I could put it in that kind of context. Mm-hmm. So I guess, yes, very strict. So that was really instilled obedience, but also a lot of love. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I was
0: never really afraid to go home. I think so. Anyway. That's, yeah, that's thank you it. for sharing that. No, I mean, I think it's so good to recognize the nuance in these situations? So that similar deal.
1: My parents actually had their conversion experience like within the year before I was born. I have two older sisters and two younger sisters, but my parents got pregnant and, and they get baptized and when this Baptist church, and they are praying for a boy and my mind you this is before sonograms and all of that right so like they were praying the whole time and they got a boy little did they know they got a gay but yeah so church all the time and like it was a part of all the things right and praying before meals whether we were at home or at a restaurant and I don't know we were a very prominent family in our little church in Cumberland Maryland and we had the we were the biggest family until the until the pastor started getting it on a little bit too much with his wife and they had two more kids really late what are you doing? <laughs> they know what stops. They know what causes that. But then we moved away and joined a very big church, and and of course it was always expected that we would be involved in all the things. We you know we were we joined a huge church that had great choir programs and all the things, and so we were always doing church. I was involved in in all the things you could be, and I think I think one important note that I just. Recalled, at some point in the middle of my high school years, there was a moment where I was rejected from like two different things at church. I was asked to not come back to the brass ensemble because I got the giggle fits. Because uh, uh, what is that? Uh, uh, me get giggle? Uh, no, that's shocking. During uh, rehearsal or something? D- during rehearsal, the other hornist who's sitting next to me is oh, it, Yeah, she's like making me laugh, and I just uh, it really tickled me. I'm all of. 14 and or 15 and I'm (laughs) just the literal church girl and and yeah I was being a little giggling church girl and what do you know like the directors after who I think you need to you need to wait a little while I was fucking first chair in my top ranked school program but yeah, the giggles but I got the giggles in a rehearsal one night Mm -hmm. so what's the second thing we're done and then I was I was I did not get cast in the Christmas Play, yeah. So I didn't get cast in the Christmas play, and it was two other guys from the, our our youth choir, and they were both in competing high schools programs, and they got cast, and I didn't, and I was devastated. And I remember, fine, I'm not going to try any more church, and I'm just going to throw myself into all of my. School things oh, yeah. And I was very involved At in school as well I did choke choir And which was shocking too Right My parents let me do The dancing and singing And when, when everyone knows In Baptist churches That you don't have sex And you don't drink Because that could lead to dancing So yeah well, There I was There I was Singing and dancing And doing things that were on stage That my parents were like How, Where did he get this? They never understood Where
2: I got this going like, that way
1: mm-hmm.
2: Thanks Lady Gaga <laughs> <laughs> We took a little jaunt onto campus and walked through some buildings. We went to the library where BJU and me is actually, it's in the collection. No, really? It is. We took photos. I will show you. There. It's It's in the 360s. I'm still gobsmacked about why that would be, but when we were there, it's part of this is how much. Why am I feeling this way? Is it because of the generation gap, or is it because this is just too much change? And where's the conviction, or whatever? But they had the Greenville News there, these newspapers, and we were reminiscing. Like we were getting our news. We got the Indianapolis Star. We got all we got these all
1: things. The, we had the Times. We had the Lance and I both worked in the periodical room yes. in the library together, and and Where, so. It was a whole room downstairs full
2: of magazines. and Where are you getting your news? Where are you getting your news? Yes. Yes. Not your smartphone. It's it's because that was the only place you could get it. And actually, we were the most
1: informed people on campus (laughs) because just by nature of being able to, we saw the stuff every day. Yes. Whereas everyone else on campus had zero access to anything. The only multimedia that was available to us on campus was... In the snack shop, a TV with yeah. C SPAN and WBJU.
2: That yeah. is the only well, thing that was they, available to they us. They had the televisions
0: like in Johnson, the basement. Oh. Yeah, so I want to get to you, Andrew, on this question okay. about attending Bob Jones and how it affected your personal and spiritual mm-hmm. journey. So I went to Bob Jones because I wanted to be a good
1: musician. And Bob Jones is the only one that offered real music that, of the choices I was offered. And then I wanted to be a good Christian. I wanted to be the best Christian I could be. And so I, I jumped in with both feet, ready to do the things. Tell me what, how do I be the best Christian? And I'm going to do it. And I was very earnest in all of that. But after being here for a while, mm-hmm. the longer I was there, the more and more it just fuels my anxiety and depression. The loneliness was real
2: and it crushed my spirit. really and truly crushed my spirit they thought i was a joneser because i wore kmart clothes (laughs) and and so it was a kind of a saying thing i i I dress our fashion sense yeah yeah. very kmart for me i
1: I liked dressing up i want to make sure we get this on the record i got connected to the facebook group that became pj unity Mm -hmm. which the reason we're here the reason Uh, I had reached out at some point to talk about his journey and I was like I just I was at a breaking point myself and I was like I I need to figure this out I need to figure this out and he was a little cagey and then he's like you want to join this group on Facebook and I was like "Mm -hmm." he starts listening people who I might know Lance Weldy's in there and I'm like Lance Weldy's in there
2: surprise
1: and I was like that little motherfucker (laughs) (laughs) and I'm gonna You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to kick him in the shins and I'm going to give him a big hug.
2: And if you don't understand why, it's (laughs) It's in the book. (laughs) It's in the chapters about uh, their departure. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's a theme that we've been talking about since we've been in Greenville the past couple of days of talking with people, allies, and queer, not of. How could you be yourself? And we have a running theory of there's not many people who could be like 100% themselves unless they were just fully Mount Calvary and they lived and breathed it and all that sort of stuff. But So I think that's why many people relate to this episode or this this series because a lot of people will find that relatable content of not being able to fully... Or always feeling people out while you're yeah. on campus, yep. like yeah. it's the surveillance mode. And you're like, Are you a spy? Could you have the power to turn me in? All that yeah. sort of stuff. So, I think a lot of people will relate to that kind of a thing of who you are and how much you have to, like, Okay, hold. don't, yeah, don't do the flamboyant thing. Or, yeah. and as you had to, he had to do counseling for masculinity stuff, and yeah. and that's in your chapter <laughs> as well. Yep. That's part of his journey there, which is learning how to be less gay. I don't even know if they, the word, uh, of the, no, it, it was about more masculine. More masculine yeah
1: and it was like i'm the man who was supposed to be teaching me how to do this was like a skinnier beanpole than i am (laughs) and had poor posture to boot and he was uh, like 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 you're gonna teach me how to be more manly, okay yeah i can probably play act a little better than you yeah And he was just this kind of sniveling ichabod crane of a man and it was just gross like i'm gonna learn something from you he was he was tall and skinny and he, he had bad posture like this he kind of concave and he had a long nose and glasses and balding thinning blonde hair yep. and was just a big dork big dweeb and a total ichabod crane like absolute ichabod crane and that's he like
2: yeah. that just goes to show you that the larger picture of not the most qualified people to the thing to do the thing to yeah. train you to be the thing which we know wouldn't work anyway perhaps but yeah. uh, like guidance counselors in your dorm like um, in yeah. your dorm experience they were basically masters Bible majors yeah yeah usually, yes. usually mm-hmm. or, that's or what or I'm, that's happy. my experience of, of so self the efficacy of that is not going to mm-hmm. be very uh, good. yeah I think <laughs> that
1: that lasted two sessions and we just never so Andrew, we missed our sessions. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, just everything's really busy. having to too? Uh, masculine, didn't have time. <laughs> how, how are you doing on that? I'm like, oh, I'm feeling <laughs> great. Yeah, I'm feeling <clears> throat> great. Throat> feeling great about oh, that office. voice. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's the other, yeah, and that's the other thing. Like
2: sending it's just sending the sheep to slaughter, essentially. Yeah, just basically people in your own peer group, a little bit older, maybe, yeah. who have been given a degree and diploma, a piece of paper, and now they've graduated to more privilege in the hierarchy, and then they're given more responsibility. And I would love to know a study of
0: how that worked out. They, yeah. Yeah. And I think really what I've learned as I've left is a lot of these toxic teachings are rooted in their rejectance of nuance. And they want certainty so much. Yes, they have certainty, do not have faith. They do not have faith, they have certainty. And I think as I when I really started on my truly healing journey, a lot of dig into that. But but obviously wasn't working. What I realized was there are a lot of complex things going on. Number one, none of my like social and psychological needs are being met. Yep. I have a lot of repressed trauma, yep. especially like minority trauma from being growing up in this environment my entire life. A lot of issues with my parents, and then the rules and toxic teachings, and just all these different things all together. That reading a verse wasn't going to get rid of, and it was like in my nervous system. Yeah, yeah, and an air quotes like forgiving wasn't going to do anything and like you're shamed for not forgiving and forgetting, but it's, it's in your nervous system. It's in your mind and body. And it's just, it's, your it's not that yeah. simple to just, they call it like move on or forgive and forget. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I remember Steve Pettit saying in the pulpit in chapel, and it was talking about, he was talking about anger and mm. talking about anger being a sin. I think I'm paraphrasing this, but he's like, anger is a sin because you're having the uh, these negative or unpleasant emotions about things that you believe that you didn't deserve. He's, you don't deserve anything good. So, mm, total depravity. Total depravity. depravity. Yep, yep, We are yep, getting yep. from so, age yep. three, two, one. Whatever. So if if you, you shouldn't even believe that you didn't deserve something. It's all the Gnosticism that they read,
1: that they talk about. They say, blah, blah, blah. they're Gnostics for this and this. That's literal Gnosticism as defined by Ephesians or whatever, Galatians, whatever, that deals with that. And it's utterly disgusting yeah. that they cannot see yeah. the complete out-about face there. Yeah. And I, it makes me angry as hell, right? Yeah. That, that they're talking about anger in, in, in a way that denies the image of God in the person.
0: Yeah. And it's just, it's again, it's bullshit teaching. Yes, yeah. And it made me so angry because I thought about all the people what about all the people who've been through so much abuse, they like, shouldn't abuse. be angry about that. Should they believe that they deserve that? Yes. Should they not get justice? And like, think about people from like yeah. the Briggs Report and all
2: other yeah. people. But in this kind of artificial environment, you cannot talk back. You so there was some gentleman behind me in the whatever row, and he would say amen every once in a while. It was nothing really scandalous, made, not even charismatic. But it was enough. Where I'm sure he got a talking to, and he was silent after that. So they were not. That's not what they were trying to promote. And that's De- so decorum. Benign. Decorum above all. Yes, and so it was, it was so benign. Of like, all right, he maybe he was ready. Uh, goes to a church where it was response, response, mm-hmm. just something small. But no, that's not how they work. And so I think just on a little bit of level of bitterness. We, if we hear something and I'm awake enough because I'm still tired, depending the physical deprivation of sleep, going to bed at 11, getting up at 655 and all that stuff or earlier, I'm just going to take it. I'm just going to take notes and take it <laughs> and think about it later. It maybe. Was, I have pulled
1: out notes and I'm been like. What the
2: fuck? But it is wasn't this? our place to scrutinize the that. Question, it wasn't it was our like- place. It was just we're uh, in Paulo Priori's theory, the banking model. A lot of people in pedagogy talk about this, pedagogy of the oppressed. You we were little banks that we were just filled with knowledge. We weren't mm-hmm. supposed to critique it. We weren't supposed to analyze it or mm-hmm. interpret it. We were to internalize it. And mm-hmm. I think that goes hand in hand with our education yep. and yep. Our, our, to critically our, think. our ideology. I'm going to write that down because a good Christian takes notes in, And <laughs> I'm going to sit on that and play on that and maybe talk about it in my prayer group and see what everyone else has yes. to say about it. And if they dissent, I don't know those people because they I don't want to be lumped in with those people. people. Yeah. But that's a, a scenario that may not even ever happen because mm-hmm. I'm like ready to go to lunch or whatever. And I'll think about that later. Who has time?
0: Yeah. And I think what, like, I think you mentioned it kind of earlier about how, like, you're like really broken down yep. and like, who you are taking yep. away. And this is yes. what high control groups and what cults do. They don't want you to have your own individuality. Nope. They want to give you their, give you what you their identity. To... Yes. Yeah. Their own identity that they have prepared for you. And, yeah, they want you to become, like, be quiet and not speak up and just obey authority, conform, and be these little obedient soldiers for Christ, really. And that's what it's like at that university. You're just being broken down, indoctrinated, and, like you said, being filled with this knowledge. You're not allowed to question. And, again, like, the sleep deprivation. Like, that's cults love to deprive people of sleep. I just (laughs) wanted to go to bed. I just wanted to go to bed. And you couldn't
1: go to bed early. You couldn't go to bed. Like, I need some sleep.
2: I cannot stay up for prayer group. I was, please let me go to bed. I don't want to have to get up. Sundays, I want to go to sleep. Sundays and Wednesdays, you would be room group, which is your room. And I heard people, I was so jealous. They'd be like, oh, we decided to do a prayer group early tonight so that everyone go to bed. I was like, I, I would love to do that. But there was never... But there was always...
1: Even if you did decide to do that, there was all of those bells happening. Yeah. There were like seven bells in an hour. And there's no way... You're gonna sleep through the, all the hustle were, and bustle of that. Yeah.
0: What was the earliest bell in the morning for y'all? Six fifty-five,
2: and
1: you had to be. And there, there was a second bell at six fifty-six. Your feet had to be on the floor. Yes, it's, it's there is this again this whole Gnostic thing, like the, the denial of the human experience of what it means to be human. And you're supposed to deny, 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 and just live in the spirit, live in the spirit, live in the spirit, deny the flesh, live in the spirit. And it's, what the fuck does that mean? What the yeah. fuck does that even mean? I am a human person with flesh that bleeds and hurts and feels and is hungry and is tired. Tired. <laughs>
2: so tired, mostly tired, so yeah.
1: fucking tired, <laughs> <laughs> and all of that was bad,
0: denied, not to be entertained, pray about it, yeah, be fine, that's the thing I think about these high control groups about Bob Jones, is them using scripture to repress and control your humanity, because if you can control someone's behavior, the information, their thoughts, their emotions, you can make them do anything, yeah, and that's what it was all about it was control yes control (sighs) yeah
1: yeah but yeah and that's the thing i think on some level there was press was so hard that it in my case like i was like i've got to do i've got to just need release yeah need release it's just it was not a life. something that's got to give and i ended up driving to 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 the gay bar (laughs) having no idea what the hell was going on yeah. <laughs> waiting for someone to pro- proposition to me yeah, no, yeah i didn't know anything about yeah, it I, I didn't know what a, a cover charge was or yeah or, or, or they were telling yeah. me strippers are gonna be there i'm like i gotta leave at 10 15
2: and that's not unique to the queer experience i think that's no. i think a lot of again why this is so relatable is that people from all uh, different communities and social yeah social circles at bju were like oh I got I had to get out and do something and then when we had a coworker at the library get shipped for allegedly a party or whatever. Uh, what, what, what did she do? It was something as innocuous as a party, a co-ed party off campus or something. I don't know. We haven't talked about that yet. We, know, um, I we talk about that. I I'll tell you. But yeah. it's it's yeah. like, it's, there's a lot of emotions that you're processing when you hear someone is gone. And yes, as what they do. do. Under what circumstances. And then it's a little, it's victim blaming in a sense of, that was stupid. They <laughs> so need the rules. They <laughs> knew the rules. And I'm not saying that to anyone. I'm like oh. i mean there's like several different emotions going on since you're like that we all go through when we hear "who they're gone and it happens a lot yeah. every generation of vj students knows people who were gone or who were let go and shipped and there's a lot of things and we would never talk oh it's like an unspoken of yeah. that's it's serious yeah like, and- but i think all three of us again were like that was stupid why involve any other people and yeah <laughs> related to the school so i'm going to go to the farthest away place that no yes. one is around and that was it we're like i do not trust anyone i it's that highly controlled environment yep. everyone could be a sleeper agent yeah and i do i'm not going to tell anyone even my bestie who works with me who's in my same society who's whatever but who we yeah, kept
1: like, telling you every day we were hanging out yeah okay so, because today they made no best. idea something shit be best. yeah
2: yeah yeah, so that is a highly controlled environment where alternative uh, culture, turn people in culture, whatever you want to call that. It is very highly controlled, but I was just thinking, what how did we why do we do those things then? Are we still were trying to find something not very successful. I was always a feeler and and
1: I and Bob Jones robbed me of that. They it, they took away my ability to feel. I remember crying at a movie mm-hmm. when I was home on break. And I felt like it was the first time I had cried in a couple of years. And I think it was actually while I was still a student, but I literally hadn't cried for two years. And I was like, oh, wow, there's, they still work. But there's this whole the culture of the masculinity. You don't feel things because boys don't feel things. They use their mind. Okay, but last time I checked, I'm still a human, and humans feel. Except, I guess I won't, because that's what you're telling
0: us. A good Christian man is a good Christian man who doesn't feel things. Yeah, Yeah. so they they cut you off so much from your humanity. And I think an aspect I want to start digging into is sexuality. Mm-hmm. So when... You are going to Bob Jones University, like, what was your awareness of your sexuality? And I want to start with you, Lance, and what, <laughs> what were your challenges with that? Oh, I
2: think we talked about a little bit with the dating outing, and I had experiences with guys beforehand, but I think being in denial about that, and it's, you could call it religious cognitive dissonance, you could call it bifurcating your personalities, or mm. whatever it is, being in, with lies and delusion, that kind of <laughs> thing of just not thinking about the other side of you who's going off to do those things for a physical release. And so, yeah, I'm going to go and try to find that mate, but I'm also looking for a wife, but also like being closeted about doing certain things. Um, never really, my ears never really pricked up because there weren't at chapel or for whatever, because I don't really remember any Messages on homosexuality. You might remember differently. You know, there might have been something along the way, but not it was always. Mes- kind of, yeah. Same, same. Right. So reality insane. wasn't in my face a whole lot there about who I really was. And so if you can, and I would tell a lot of people this, even now, my advice would be like, keep your head down and keep following the stream. And <laughs> that's whatever, that's good or bad advice. But I think. The challenge, the huge one is just, how do I get by without getting in trouble? And so I'm just going to participate in all the things that I know that I need to do and want to do and try not to think about being gay as much as possible. Yeah. Even though there are lots of instances that were really making it difficult, even with community showers, for example, or that sort of stuff.
1: But- Uh, uh, I was always (laughs) staring at my soap and my shampoo in my hand. Yeah. Like literally just staring at that. I had my towel, the hand on my towel, looking down, just looking down. You did not, I did not look up every morning.
2: But we did not have it as bad as the people from the 70s before, where there was community showers. Ours were in as what you remember, probably it's like stalls stalled yeah. with a curtain. Yeah. All that sort of yeah. Stuff. Yeah. But I, I think if we're talking about this idea of the mental health or whatever, it's like a psychic break or whatever specific terminology that is, I don't think about that. It is inner turmoil, but you I'm not gonna do the thing. I'm gonna mm-hmm. pray about it and I'm gonna find victory over sin. Love that phrase. Too. No. Oh, yes. Do you have victory over that sin? that during the altar call and sort of stuff like that uh, are there is there any unconfessing? but we're never we're <laughs> gonna we're gonna do that on our it's own we're not gonna involve any heart other heart people heart right. yeah get your heart right but so i don't know about challenges, phases especially sexuality i was trying to conform <laughs> to heterosexuality yeah, just, as much as i can and yeah. i was trying to do it once more with feelings <laughs> once one more dating outing, one whatever, but it never went anywhere concrete. I never had a girlfriend. And whenever I would ask maybe the same girl twice for a dating outing, someone close to me was like, you better be careful with what you're doing to her feelings. I'm like, what are you talking about? We're just friends. But there was, uh, so that sort of opened my eyes, like how people are seeing me. And so it was just, I'm just going to try to participate in all the things that I think will make the next step so much more easier to get rid of the gay and, but also being two different kinds of personalities, splitting yourself up into two different kinds of people, a fundy queer person. You're the funny person here. and You're the queer person out there trying to find someone. I don't know how y'all were trying to do that same thing. I, I think if I were really honest with myself, even when I was 20, 21, whatever, I would not, I was steeply in denial about that. And I would never say that I am gay. I would never identify as gay, but I would I be like, I'm still doing the gay thing.
1: Exactly, yeah. Exactly. I, and how many times do I deal with
0: people, have I met people like that? And
1: exactly. say the same thing, oh, yeah, yeah I'm and
0: not gay. I think- And I don't know if this is true for y'all, but I remember hearing, like, being gay, being compared to having an addiction.
1: That, to being compared to pedophilia, to bestiality. Sexual sin, sexual order. And because there is no, there is zero understanding of consent within our shared religious experience right like, there's no consent dynamic and we were watching some movie uh, last night and I was like that's not enthusiastic consent yelling at the actor but yeah there's no real discussion of that in in the equation because the only sex that should be happening is between a man and a wife and it's her gift to him it's it so like spousal rape is a thing that's happening all the time in fundamentalism and it's not discussed because she has no say in it. It doesn't matter. She is his. They are one flesh. And so she doesn't have any objection, even if she does. It just perpetuates the cycle of abuse. He's your feller and you love him. That's the way it ought to be. You just bring it back to musical theater
0: that explains life. Um, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah, so Andrew, what has your experience been at Bob Jones with your sexuality? What was your awareness of it going in and how were you discovering that or even just repressing that what was that like i think there is a
1: sense where i knew i was gay but i totally tapped that down to press i remember being turned on as a little kid yeah five or six years old watching a bodybuilding competition on tv and like oh what's going on here i'm feeling things wow and then in high school being very like Attracted to certain boys in the hallway, so uh, there there was a sense that like I knew deep deeply inside of me that there was that was a thing, but I did not want to acknowledge it in any way, shape, or form. And also, I was naive as fuck. And I still, as much as I experiences as I have had, I still consider myself naive. And I literally didn't know that men could have sex facing each other. Because every sermon I ever heard on homosexuality, is, they can't even have sex facing each other because intimacy can only be achieved in the missionary position, apparently. But but yeah, like I I looked up porn this summer before my senior year. I think my my sister and brother in law were living in my our family basement while their, their house was being built, and we had internet access that summer. And I was up late one night and I was like, yay. And waited for fifteen minutes while uh, 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 the things download, and then it's just very. Before it finally, oh my god, they can actually do that! Wow, I was just blown away. I had literally no idea, and and here I was, like twenty years old, and just finally having a sense of what's possible. Yes, and then yeah, and then. As as far as at school, the depression was real, was so real. So I was finding really random ways to do things. I would call gay chat lines on the landline phone from my dormitory room. But you know how I got around it, right? It was like a 1-800 number. Uh Uh-huh. And so I would use my long distance. And so it didn't, it was a toll-free number, so it didn't get charged to my, my parents weren't like getting these outlandish charges. But I, and of course, nothing of having to do (laughs) obnoxious stuff until you're dialing on a rotary phone, your, get your long distance code and your... As a rotary in the dorm. I had a rotary phone my freshman year. I had to dial eight, six, three, one, seven, Right. To, it was just, yeah. it was like forever and ever. You're waiting for this thing to turn around and around and around. But I did do that. I want to say my senior year, I was calling on these chat lines and talking to random dudes and just 1-800-959-guys. There you
0: go. Yeah. So really what I want to dig into next is the BJU and me book. So you all contributed to it. And Lance, you edited it. You're the one who started it,
2: right? The germ of the idea for it, I talk about this in the concluding chapter. I think we're not talking about time and how long it took for this thing to come to fruition, was being in this private gay BJU group, Rich Merritt, who wrote Secrets of a Gay Marine Porn Star, which is his memoir. It. But so he had the idea around before June 2012, when we went to Pride in New York, he was saying, we should contribute our stories. We people need to hear about this. And I was like, yes. Let's do that. But can I do it under a pseudonym? Because I'm not out yet. We met up at Pride in 2012, and he was going to have to give over the project to me because he was doing other things and couldn't do work on it anymore. So then I took this unofficial mantle and and then just didn't know how to go to the next step. But thankfully, with BJ Unity, there were biographies on there. I contributed to that and other people. And so that was the first step of seeing people who are willing to give their story and post it online. And I said, can I have your permission to use this for a book?" Proposal and from there, what I did was try to find a home for it, and finally found
0: good news from University of Georgia Press. Yeah, and I'm so glad you did put it together because I think number one, getting the survivors, like having that space to safely tell your story and then yeah. see other people who have experienced the same thing is so validating and i think so healing for people and then for people who're and i'm still afraid to tell their story they can read it and relate so much and know that i am not alone yes and it goes across different circles
2: or social circles but this idea of feeling alone and it's very cliché and i don't know how to say it in a fresh way but that I can't tell you how much I squeed with delight in October 2011 when I knew I I was invited to this group, the same group Andrew was talking about, and finding out that there's other people like me. Yes, just, I can't mm-hmm. I can't overstate the glee that I felt of Wow, there are all these people who have similar situations it's to me. Good. I've never felt that way before, yeah. and I was in my mid 30s at yeah. that point, and so late bloomer, yeah. whatever. And yeah. I just I can't emphasize enough how my life changed at that point and it got a lot of my emphasis and I was in a different kind of school spirit mode at that point. Yeah. With everyone, let's go, let's talk, let's start talking. So it's, it was a spiritual moment in a way. Yeah. Yeah. It changed
1: everything. Yeah. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. And before I know it, like I'm posting my story and coming out online. Yeah. And and suddenly I'm an accidental activist and it's like, when did this happen? And Oh my God, I, this is who I am. And, and the losing of friends for like, why are you talking about you being gay? It isn't, it's just now I'm allowed to be. And yeah. trying to have that conversation over and over again, but I, I'm sorry, I, I, this is all the feelings, all the feelings. Yeah. Spirit was moving, yeah. Oh, Lord have mercy.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think something I want to talk about with isolation, I think I might've mentioned this on another episode, I'm not sure, but I recently heard... On a podcast, and this person, her name is Alexandra Stein, and she's a cult expert. And she was saying the three forms of isolation in a higher control group or in an a cult. And she said, number one, you're isolated from people outside the group. And number yep. two, you're isolated from people inside the group because you can't communicate what you're really experiencing. Yeah. And you had to put on a mask. And yeah. the last yep. third form of isolation. Is isolation from yourself mm. because you're disconnected from your internal thoughts, mm. your internal system, because yeah. you're not allowed to trust all those things yourself. And it just when I heard that, I was just I started crying because I like, yeah. oh my God, just all it was just it hit me so hard of how really realizing how they pit us against ourselves and isolate yeah. us that's and us not yeah. trust ourselves and because you are evil and sinful yeah. and bad <laughs> and <laughs> You have <laughs> yeah. yeah, And, and it's so like all yeah. I yeah. back nothing to that nothing good. So you can't trust yourself. You can only trust what the man of God tells you. And it's to connect is human. You're made to connect. Mm. And they took that away from us. Yes. Mm. And now we're getting it back. (laughs) We have. Yeah. And it's empowering. And something I want to talk about is with y'all sharing your stories in the book, like, how have you seen that? impact others I'm sure you've gotten so many messages every one of you yeah impacted your story yeah and I, I I sometimes I'll tell Andrew
2: when I'm FaceTiming you guess who you will never guess who reached out to me <laughs> and it I've been surprised pleasantly surprised at the positive response from people that I would not expect and we were just meeting up with someone yesterday for my best requirement like we were talking like is she okay with us and that's something again about how word goes around and when I got shipped in the late 90s you don't know how people treat you you don't know what they know if, if they're There's a commodity of information and intelligence about what happened to that person who just got shipped. Do they know the real reason for that? And then there's gossip and rumors that happens a lot too. But so you don't really know how people feel about you if they're progressive if they're moderate if they're like tolerant or whatever and she was great but she was super great but this there are people that i would think just judging by their social media presence that they're still conservative church going people and they would reach out to me one in particular i remember would just say this is great thank you so much for this i have a brother who's gay I'm like, oh, it's, it personalizes it, humanizes it. The theme of this is either total depravity or human, human, yes. uh, humanity. I think that's one thing I think I talked about in the concluding chapter as well. Of, you can really change people's positions on things if you can humanize it for them. Yep. Do they have someone in their family, the extended family? Statistics, probably so at this point. Or there, or another one reached out to me, I went to high school with, and her daughter is lesbian. And she bought the book because she wanted to better understand the, how to better
0: understand. Mm-hmm. I could go on and on about that. And then do you want to talk a little bit about the impact you've seen from your story and what people have said it to you I've been messaged
1: as well probably not maybe to the same degree as you have but to me' was actually was more interesting was I know most of the people who contributed to that book in one way or another yeah. but in reading those stories I got to know some of my yes my fellow survivors things I didn't know way more the person who's Story I'm paired with in the section, Peter Crane. Yeah. I've known Peter through Facebook for a few years now. But seeing how our stories were so similar in so many ways, that's just really fascinating to me. And just, like I say, getting to know all of, yeah. all of you just a little better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in the process of waiting for the book to come out and posting, <laughs> order your copy now, right? And along the way, two of my friends came out to me. Oh, wow. wow. These are people that I've known forever. And one was a, one was a huge shock. One is a graduate of Bob Jones University, married to a Bob Jones University graduate, and just I was like, wait, wait, what? Wow. Say again? Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Wow. And and this person is not not really out in the world and still being heterosexual and all of that. But I was so proud of this person and so excited that they could be. Honest with me, and recognize the safe space. And they had been holding this in for so long because they knew my story. And but I was always surprised when I would visit or whatever how interested this person was in me. And I didn't know this person; I knew their spouse. Yeah. And uh-huh. I like it was a very it was a very curious <laughs> curious situation. But then you find out, and you're like, oh, okay, all right. But also, yeah, I, I have had no indication from my family that they have read my book or have acknowledged the fact that I'm a published author. I've only made a huge deal out of this on all of my social media (laughs) for like literally two years as we've pre-ordered and talked up the release. And then in the last year since it's been out, no one from my family has said anything to me about the book. And of course, I don't mince any words in my chapter either. I'm not friendly about my family. I'm not like, I'm not like mean, but I don't say anything that isn't true in my experience. Mm -hmm. And so there's that. But there hasn't been like fallout per se. I am so proud of this book. I had so many people were so interested in the book, and mm-hmm. I went. I lived in D.C. and worked in a public policy organization for many years. And how many people from there ordered my book, ordered this book, and, and were like, "You need to read this book. It's amazing." And, mm-hmm. and I, I, I'm really hopeful because, like, I have people in education policy reading this book. Mm-hmm. So if that can make a difference mm-hmm. in like regulating the fuck out of schools like Bob Jones who are trying to control people and preventing the free flow of information and exchange of information from students and teachers and the world around like that, that if there's a way that they can stop the cultish yeah. behaviors of schools like Bob Jones, that maybe there's hope there. That's what, I, that's what I'm hopeful for anyway, as far as the response to this.
0: Yeah, so I want to quickly dig into what have y'all's healing journeys been like after BJU? And we'll start with you, Lance. I'm confident enough to put my name on on a book and all that.
2: So I think there's, since 2011, there's been, like, what do you mean by healing? I guess it just depends. How comfortable am I with myself? I still think that's something to work on, but uh, giving myself oh, I, sorry, I give myself more grace to, <laughs> that's, I, I do that, <laughs> grace that is greater than all are, it's been setting since, <laughs> uh, and I'm sorry, I, it's part of what I do, it's with, with youth humor as a defense mechanism, and so some, I'm using these funny phrases, Semi, unironically semi-ironically? I don't know, but I just still probably juggling how I feel about certain things. And now I'm going that I'm going through the change and I'm an old person. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm an old. And so there's a generation gap and trying to heal, you know, I don't know if you could say injustice, you were kicked out. I don't lose sleep at night over that. And it's weird how I feel about the school now and I know that differs from person to person who Mm -hmm. identifies as survivors. And so I probably still need to talk through some things and not just repress whatever, but I think I'm in a better place than when I was in the lowest of the lows. Mm -hmm. was after I was shipped. That And I was living at home under a lie. Mm. the twelve year lie is what it was, pretty mm. much. and so yeah, the, uh, I could go into that, but just to summarize, the think there I can say right now that was the lowest point in my life, mm. and I'm glad I'm not there anymore. And I think the camaraderie and the social, like if we are, as you're saying, the humanities needs social interaction and the social experience. that was one of the things that in 2012, i I'm not uh, didn't have a lot of finances or money to play with, but. That meant so much to me to see the people for the first time, the family at at the Pride in 2012. It meant so much to me. I think that when I dedicated the book to the different kinds of people and one of those, to chosen family. I think that's something. Finding a chosen family is
0: helping with the healing. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And Andrew, what is your healing journey been like? I'm still in therapy and I think everyone should be. And full plug for
1: that. And that has been hugely helpful. I too have been leaning really hard into the chosen family and I am really lucky in that Mm -hmm. regard. The last couple of years have been difficult with COVID being so isolating and so forth. Mm -hmm. And my family just being very disappointing in all of it. Really awful. And uh, because they're the way they are, but I'm really grateful to have to have great friends Mm -hmm. who have become chosen family like this uh, our bj unity community that's going in a that's going in a lyric yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. but has been re- just remarkable in all of this and it's been up and down but one of our one of the board members of bj unity has been like a second mother to me oh. and like she she on a drive from across the country, she went out of her way to stop in my town oh. for dinner one night oh. so that we could sh- give me a hug and in the middle of not really sure about all the things, like she stopped to oh. give me a mom hug, and it was like i the love that i am I can feel through just even through the the waves of the internet that all of these people have is so very important. Writing this book was hugely cathartic, or my chapter for this book, I should say, is was very cathartic. And the other thing that's been hugely healing for me has been being able to be there for the next generation. Mm, I have I have a lot of nieces and nephews, Mm -hmm. and I'm able to be there. Yeah. For the inevitable. Right, yeah. for the, ne- <laughs> yeah. the statistic, the statistic inevitability yeah. that, that is bound to happen, and I'm really excited about about yeah. what the future holds for them and the possibility that I have to be a voice of love
0: and reason and, and care and help, regardless of how they choose to live their lives. Yeah, that's so powerful. And I think it's a great way to end this episode. And I'm so glad (laughs) we were able to get together and do this. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having us. Of course. Yeah. Thank y'all so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Surviving Bob Jones University. It would be greatly appreciated if you could give the podcast a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leaving reviews helps listeners just like you find the show.